Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is the third message through Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to attempt the difficult task of working our way through the remainder of the chapter. As we do, we will see how Paul compares and contrasts the true follower of Jesus with those that he labels enemies of the cross of Christ. Thanks for following along as we meditate on God's Word together to help set our sights on citizenship in heaven and away from the temptation towards earthly things. So happy Valentine's Day. We have a Valentine's Day at our house. We have um, a, uh, we cook breakfast for dinner. That's kind of apparently what our tradition is. Um, but there's still a lot of chocolate, and what I discovered is, as we were um, trying to eat as healthy as you can with breakfast food for dinner, um, my daughter Sadie was still reaching for the chocolate. She, she just really wanted the, the Valentine's Day chocolate. And um, it was uh, this last week I took her out to Culver's, because if you can remember, uh, quite a ways back I was challenging parents to take their kids on dates, right? Well, I'm still doing that with her. And um, Culver's is notorious for, for custard. That's really what they have going on, right? So um, I, I got her corn dog and her fries, but what do you think she was reaching for again? What's with this little kid just constantly wanting the dessert, right? She's, she, she's reaching for what is not available yet, right? Even though it's there, even though it's been presented, even though it's as good as hers, now's not the right time, but she's still reaching for it. Maybe want to ask the question, I wonder what we are reaching for in life. I wonder, as, as the people of God, what it is that we really are expending kind of our efforts towards, and if we truly understand that there are some things that have been promised to us, but not yet. They're, they're there, they're, they're as good as yours, but now is not the right time for them. I, I began to think about this idea of our, our reaching in the in the. In the context of where our priorities lie. And, and the, the place where I've kind of settled for us in determining how to share this with you out of Philippians is the idea that our identity determines our priorities. If we understand who we truly are, if we understand how God sees us, it will help reorder our priorities such that hopefully we as God's people will not be overstepping our bounds, will not be reaching for things that aren't here yet, but rather we be focused on the primary mission for why we're still waiting for Jesus' return. So you can think that this is a common theme amongst our world, that your identity determines your priority, right? A, a businessman is his identity and he's working towards making what? Yeah, this, this is what he's working towards. A, a coach has an identity to uh, get, get what for their teams? Get wins. Yeah. A basketball player, uh, what's, that's their identity, so what's their priority? To make baskets. I feel like the same is true for us. And the problem is, we live in a culture and in a world that doesn't hold those identities as Christian. And therefore, it doesn't have the same priorities. And because we live in that world, you and I, we become convinced that there are actually things that we ought to be reaching for, like the dessert that's not ready yet. And uh, we fail to understand our true calling and what it is we're supposed to be doing. Uh, as Paul writes in Philippians and where we've been the last two weeks, 
uh, has surrounded this idea of his defense of the gospel of grace. You remember, I want to give it just a quick review. It's been a couple of weeks since we've looked at it. Uh, but what was it again that Paul commanded the church in Philippi to rejoice in? Rejoice in the Lord. Let's say it together, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Lord. Yeah, and um, I, I wonder if I could get my choir members to flip back in your red hymnals to that second song that you sang. Uh, I want to reference a few of the words that were shared there. You don't rejoice in your ability. You don't rejoice in uh, even your salvation. Or your role to play in following God. You don't rejoice in your gifts. You don't rejoice in your positions or power or prestige. You rejoice in the Lord. For Paul, this meant in Philippi that there were some who were coming and bringing in confusion. False teachers. He calls them dogs. Evildoers. Mutilators of the flesh. And and what we worked hard to see is that uh, the, the, the truth is that you don't bring anything to add to what Jesus has already done. And if you think you do, you, don't long, you no longer have grace. Now it's, now it's something that God needs you to do, to depend on. It's, it's either all him or it's not grace. And so we need to learn that we need to rely and count on Jesus alone. Um, Paul describes four the church in Philippi, that there will come false teachers in the last days. There will, there will come false teachers. What were the words of that song? CJ, go ahead and read it. Without him, I could do nothing. Yeah, without him, I could do nothing. Is that true, church? Yeah. yeah. Look, either it's true or it's not. You need to believe it or you're not going to live your life according to that priority. Without him, I can... What's the next one? Without him, I'd surely fail. Is that true? Yeah. What's the next one? Without him, I would be drifting. Without him, I'd be drifting. Someone who drifts doesn't have a direction. They're, they're, they're lost on their own. But I want you to understand loud and clearly that that is not how the world wants to think. No, no one wants to admit that. Shoot, man, I can do plenty of stuff on my own. I know what direction I'm going. I don't need no... No one to tell me what to do. Maybe you do, and that's fine for you. You're, you're a little Christian religion, and you can follow God or, or whatever, but I can do it on my own. That idea of self-sufficiency is rampant through our American culture. And that's really what we have been exporting to the rest of the world, and unfortunately, most largely through the church. And I've, I'm really afraid that we've kind of become desensitized to the false teachings that exist in our world. I, I, I want to make sure you understand... I'm not leaving Philippians 3 here. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. And immediately after that he says, because there's going to come in people who will want to lead you away from depending on the Lord. It's going to get worse. He says it will get worse in the last days. I'll share with you what he says in Thessalonians. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. What's that mean? Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't believe any lies. Now, here's the thing with a lie. No one has to warn you not to be deceived if you knew they were lies, right? Everybody with me on that? The reason why we get tricked by lies is because what do they sound? They sound true. true. Paul says, don't be deceived by lies. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that's called God. I can do it. I, I, I don't need God. I can, I'll exalt myself. I'm able to do it. 
or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is my fear. I'm afraid that in our world today, uh, we have patterned our reaching after the world's kind of idolatry and that as a church, we're running the risk of losing our sensitivity. And I fear that we in America, we've been reaching for our dessert before the meal is really over. So, with that, I've entitled this message, The Citizenship of God's People. We're in Philippians 3. Please turn there with me. We're going to do our best this morning to work our way through the rest of the chapter. I'm going to, I'm going to move quickly through it. I'm going to read through the passage. Then I'm going to highlight a few observations of what it is I, I believe that we need to pay attention to. And then i got a few points of conclusion for us to uh, look at how we can uh, implement this truth into our life. Uh, We have been looking at this command, rejoice in the Lord. But today we're going to examine the reason why. Why do we rejoice in the Lord? Um, What is it that we are called to? What is it that has been promised to us? What is it we are looking forward to? That's all in our text. Uh, One other thing I just want to make note of for you is that as Paul's argument unfolds in Philippians 3, he actually moves into chapter 4. So we're going to go into chapter 4, verse 1 is going to be part of what we're going to look at here as well. So from 3, uh, verse 12 through 4, 1. Page 1829 in the Pew Bibles. I invite you to follow along with me as I read. Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. All right. A few things that I want to point out, uh, even before we really begin diving into the text, I, I want you to make sure you catch the context I want you to know what's around this passage. And and so before verse 12, just real quick, look with me back to verse 10 and 11. uh, Because as Paul leads into this idea that I'm not there yet, I haven't got it yet. I want you to see what he was talking about just previously. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his what? The power of his resurrection. This is the top of Paul's list. This is what we're hoping for. This is what I'm aiming at. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
It's how he begins. I want you to notice that's also how he ends. Go down to verse 21. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies. What is that? Go ahead, say it loud, Lois. Resurrection. It's resurrection. The transformation of our lowly bodies, that's resurrection. That is the day that we're waiting for. Uh, anyone have aches and pains? Who's taking Advil today? Anybody? Yeah. You, you have bodies that are going to die. They are going to wear themselves out and break down and be found in the dirt. The, the greatest message of the truth of Christianity is that we know somebody who was raised from the dead. And he wants to offer you life now and the promise that you too will have your body raised from the dead. That's, that is the great message of Christianity. We don't get to do that before God because of sin. So Jesus came to take care of sin. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You don't add to it. It's been done for you. I want you to see, first of all, that this is the full context of what Paul's talking about. Resurrection is what's on the table. So with that in mind, uh, look with me here in verse 12 as we start this. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Who did the work there? Everybody catch this? I'm, I'm striving, I'm moving forward to take hold of what has already been done. Jesus has already taken hold of me. It's already been accomplished. And now I am moving in that same direction with him. I'm seeking to follow after him. Um, imagine, imagine you're on a, uh, a cruise ship out in mid, mid-Atlantic. Uh, in fact, let me, uh, reminds me of a story. Can I tell you a quick story? Um, my, my mother and father-in-law, they went with some friends on a cruise. And if you, uh, if you knew my, my mother-in-law, she's, she's not much of a prankster. She gets embarrassed really easily. Um, a little sensitive. Uh, my father-in-law, though, he, he, he's, he can dish it and take it, no problem, right? But not, not my mother-in-law. And, and they're, they're on their way, and they're making their way up to the upper deck on the cruise ship, and they see their friends over there by the railing. So they make their way over to the friends, and she thinks, now that she's on a cruise, she's going to be just a little coy. She's going to be a little bit a little playful, right? So she gets over next to him, and she sneaks up behind him, and she, she kind of pushes him over the railing, but holds on to him and, and goes like this, like, saved your life, you, you know, like kind of how you do, right? Uh, just, you know, she's, it's, she's on vacation, folks, right, you know? Uh, and then to her horror, the man turned around was not her friend. But... <laughs> I love that story. It's a little off topic. Let me get back on track here. Let's say you're on the cruise ship and, and you're, you're leaning over the railing and you fall off the cruise ship, right? There you go falling down into shark-infested waters. And the, the captain, he, he, he sounds the alarm, and the crew springs into action, and they take one of those round uh, lifesaver, I guess it's called lifesaver, right? Um, and uh, it's got a big rope attached to it, and, the, and the, the boat's starting to pull away, and there you are trying to catch up, but that boat's going. So they heave this thing out there, and unbelievably, it lands right on you, and you wrap it around you, and you're safe, right? The, the, the rope's coming out, and the boat's still going away. But let's say now that you're in the water, you're like, you know, I've always wanted to go snorkeling. <laughs> and so you just start snorkeling around, checking stuff out. You're, you're not doing what it is that has already been done for you. This is the same picture here. Jesus has reached out into the shark-infested waters that you and I live in, and he has saved you. What Paul says is now what I'm doing 
is I am pressing on to take hold of that for which he took hold of me. The direction that I ought to be going, the direction that he is saving me towards, I am moving in that same direction. I'm not enjoying my time here. I'm not focused here now, getting out my snorkel and my underwater camera. And, no, I'm, I'm moving in the same direction. That's what Paul means by this. I take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Jesus has done all the work. This is one of the, this is the predominant difference between Christianity and all other religions. Every single faith on the planet has the pattern of you having to achieve your own merit in this life. If you even look at the monotheistic religions, Judaism uh, and Islam, uh, Muslims, they have no guarantee that Allah will be pleased with them. So they strive on earth to please God, hoping that he might accept them. Every one of the Eastern religions, Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism, uh, they're all uh, found around this idea of reincarnation, that if you're good in this life, the karmic religions, right? If you're good in this life, how will it be for the next? Right? So they're working and they're striving here. They all have for them at your death a kind of graduation date where either you're accepted or you're rejected, but not with Christianity. Christianity alone is where you have already been accepted. You hear me? You are accepted by God. He has, he has rescued you. He has saved you. Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, I press on so that he will take hold of me. I press on because he has taken hold of me. Is everybody with me on this? Say amen if you're with me. I press on because Christ has taken hold of me. All right, verse 13, uh, another real, really important thing. This, this gets to the top of the list if I'm going to say stuff that we need to pay attention to. Verse 13, brothers, I don't consider myself yet that I've taken hold of it, but one thing I do. All right, he's going to tell us. Let's, tell me, Paul, what's the one thing you do? This is beautiful, folks. The church needs to hear this. Forgetting what is behind and straining onto what's ahead. Now, I, I want to give you some context around this idea of forgetting what's behind. So what is he talking about here? What's behind? Uh, in this context, what he has previously just been talking about is all of this having confidence in the flesh. Do you remember that? Right? I've circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, legalistic righteousness, faultless. Remember all that? Remember that whole section we read? Yeah, that's what he says is where for him. He's doing what? Behind him, right? So contextually here, that which he is forgetting that's behind is his confidence in the flesh. But I want to give you a theological category for that. Because at any point that you think you can do it on your own, that is an offense before God. It's a sin. It's a mistake. So not only is Paul's confidence in the flesh behind him, his sins are behind him. It's all behind him. And what, what, what does he do when it's behind him? He says, I forget it. Contextually, confidence in the flesh. Theologically, sins and mistakes. I want to give you one other one, though. Applicationally, everything that Paul mentioned, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, Pharisees, zeal, all, all of that, that's all earthly things. So applicationally, what Paul is saying, when I say forget what's behind, he's talking about everything here on this earth. If you need me to defend that a little bit more, you can see that as we looked at last week, verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss. What's everything mean? Everything. Everything, everything here on earth. 
So any confidence I have in my flesh, I forget it. Any mistake or sin that I've made before God, I forget it. And anything that would cause my perspective to continue to look to earth rather than heaven, what does he do? I, say it with me, I forget it. And I strain on to what's ahead. Why is it so hard though? You guys know what I mean, right? Why is it so hard? When I was uh, in high school, I uh, played basketball and I ran track. And um, when I was young, I remember um, I cared about what people thought of me. And so when I would miss a layup or something that was super easy, I just, I missed a layup. I'd be like, oh, stupid. You know, I'd be like, man, I shouldn't have done that. And I, I'd, get, I'd get all down on myself for a mistake that I made in my past. Now, how do you think that caused me to play the rest of the game? Good or bad? Yeah, look. There's still more game to play. Get over it. Stop crying. Let's go. Forget the mistake. Move on. We've got a, a purpose. Uh, one time running track, I was on the relay team. And you know with the relay, you've got to do the baton. Anyone ever do the baton transfer in high school? Yeah, that ain't the easiest thing to do when you're running. And um, I was the third leg, and I remember the one time, because um, you know, everyone else is kind of running against you, and you're kind of hoping your lane is catching up first. Um, I put my hand out there, and the baton slipped. And I went like that. Oh, I went like that. And my coach said, Go! Get going! The race ain't over! The race ain't over. What, what good? What good is it going to do for me to. <laughs> Look what Paul says. One thing I do forget what's behind, strain onto what's ahead. And one reason why I think this is so hard for us is because we don't value what's ahead. I, I really feel like this is a problem in America. We just don't value eternity. Now, if you lived in the Middle Ages, right? Going to the bathroom in an outhouse. Yeah, you, you would hope for some better life after this. But just look at what we have today. Just look at what we can do today. And I think this is one of the main reasons why uh, people' perspective stays on improving their own mistakes here. I need self-improvement. I need to think better about myself. And I need to focus on achieving what I can here on earth. Because this place rocks. This place is awesome. And we just, we don't value streets of gold. Because we feel like we, we want them now. Just like my daughter. Uh, not wanting to eat her eggs and bacon. Just eat chocolate. It, look, it's been promised to you. It's there. This, now is not the time for it. All right, let's continue on. I'm going to move a little quicker here. Verse 15, he mentions that all of us who are mature should take a view of such things. Uh, this word mature here really means, it means whole. And it's the idea that you are living incompletely if you're not looking towards resurrection. If for you, you're still focused on the earth, you're not playing with a full deck. Um, Sadie, my daughter, she likes to do puzzles sometimes. And in order for me to figure out the puzzle, I got to look at the front of the box, right? I got to keep doing, doing this to make sure I know where stuff goes. But occasionally she will get bored with it and decide to move on to something else. Puzzle ain't done, right? It doesn't look like the finished picture. It's, it's incomplete. You, you've only done half of it. That's this word. That's what this word means. If, if you are not focusing on resurrection, your puzzle's only half filled out. You, you, are, you are not mature. You're not complete in understanding that Jesus has done it all and we are looking for his return. That's what we're doing here now. Waiting for that day. So that's what, that's what he has to say here in this passage. Verse 16, as he says, um, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Uh, there are some commentaries, even study Bibles, that think this is referring to some theological truth that he's been teaching. I don't think so at all. 
When he says, let us live up to what we've already attained, he's again looking at that full scope of salvation, which, which ends in what? I, I referenced this at the beginning of my message. Do you remember? What's the context all about? Resurrection, right? So there's the fullness of it, and we're not there yet. So he says, let's live up to what we've already attained. And for Paul, that was explained very clearly in chapter 2. Do you remember? Flip back to chapter 2. Just in verse 1. It's only take a second, but you're not going to know what this means until I get you there. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Are you, are you united with Christ this morning? Say amen if you are. Amen. If you have any encouragement from that, he says, if you have any comfort from his love. Do you have his love this morning? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Uh, do you have any fellowship with the Spirit? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, listen, this is what you've already attained. He says, let us live up to what we've already attained. You can remember weeks ago I said that if you have been made right in the vertical, it means being made right in the horizontal as well. And this is exactly what Paul means. Go back to Philippians 3 now in verse 16. When he says, let us live up to what we've already attained, what he means is let's continue to pursue unity with one another. Because we have unity with God, we can have unity with one another. That's what we've already attained. Verse 18, he says, uh, for as I have... Told you before, and I now say again, with tears, many live as enemies. What's he doing here? He's helping them see that there are (laughs) false teachers. So once again, uh, he's addressing these who would lead them astray. Verse 19, he says their destiny is destruction. This word destiny, I think, uh, if you have a different version, uh, it might say end. Their end is destruction. Uh, The word is telos, and I think a better translation here would be their aim. It's, It's what they're aiming at. They're... Their direction, their end goal is destruction. Uh, destiny for me is a little confusing. Maybe that makes good sense for you, but uh, according to the original here, it's a, it should be understood that these enemies of the cross of Christ, what they're doing is they're moving at something else. They have a different goal in mind. That's what that, um, I, I just put a cross through destiny and I wrote the word aim in my Bible just so I can understand it a little better. Uh, last thing I want you to see is the, uh, the full scope of what Paul is trying to encourage the church to do. In verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we do what? Eagerly await. Do you remember that picture of my dog that I showed you? I, I didn't find it again, but he was, he's looking for Emily. He loves Emily. When she's gone, he just curls up on her pillow. He just loves her. And so when she's, when she's not home, he's just looking out the window all day long, just looking and, and on his tiptoes, just waiting to see for her to come home because he loves her. This is what Paul says we are doing. Christ is not here yet. And so what should we be doing? We're just waiting for his return. We're watching and we're waiting. This is the calling that comes to us. All right, this, this is a lot for, uh, for us to get through. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out as he's talking about this difference here, the enemies... And us, verse 19 and 20. I wanted to show you kind of in a chart form what we're talking about. Three things are mentioned. Do you remember? Their destiny, which I said is, is like their goal or their aim. And then he says their God. And then he mentions their glory. So we have three things. Their goal, their God, and their glory. And if you remember what he listed out there, uh, their goal is destruction. That's their aim, right? Their God is their stomach. You guys know what that means, right? Who do they serve? Yeah, when my appetites say do this, when my lusts say do this, when my desires say do this, what do I do? I follow this God. I I don't serve that God. So that's their God, and then their glory is actually in their shame. I, I hope that you could catch that in the clip that I played you. Did you catch the, sh- it's, 
I, I have no way of outlining that other than that's so utterly shameful that you would declare, I am strong. You have been fooled, my friend. I am secure. How are you possibly secure? There is an incredible preposition that needs to come before every one of those I am statements. And every time that they said it, it was absent. Where was Jesus in any of them? And so uh, that to me is the highest level of shame. But you could see, what were they glorying in? They were glorying in the shameful way in which they were looking to themselves. Paul says, but for us, our goal is heaven. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. That's, that's that rope that's already attached to you. Our God is Jesus. This is what he says here in verse 19 or 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. Who is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, our glory. This is what we're waiting for. Verse 21 who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. That's resurrection. Did you catch the difference? I wanted to highlight here that I can make it clear that that's what we're talking about. All right, conclusions. Let's wrap this up. Number one, you're not there yet. Amen? Amen. That's it. You're not there yet. Go back with me in verse 12. Uh, I just got pointed out to you because he mentioned it three times. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Verse 13, brothers, I don't consider myself, he could have used the word already again, but yet to have taken hold of it. There you go. I I, I don't feel like I need to press that much further. You guys get it? You're not there yet? Progress number two, progress in Christianity won't happen by accident. Progress in Christianity will not happen by accident. This is the verse out of 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You see the effort that's, that's wrapped up in this? Listen, you will not progress in Christianity by sitting in the pews. I thought he was getting up just now. (laughs) It's not enough just to come and be a spectator. It will not move you forward. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining on towards what's ahead. You need to pick up the baton. Do you ever drop the baton? Anyone in here guilty of sin this morning? Yeah, if you ever drop the baton, what does God want you to do? Pick it up. Forget what's behind. The blood of Jesus Christ. As long as you're calling sin, sin. As long as you're repenting of it, saying, I want nothing to do with it. It's covered over that. And you need to get back up and keep running. You need to get back up and keep running. Number three, uh, unity is a measure of maturity. Do you remember this? In verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Right? The, the best way that you can gauge, am I growing in Jesus, or am I not, is to ask the question, how many uh, grudges do you keep between people? Are, are you quick to keep your grudges and be like, well, I remember what he said about me that one time. Yeah, well, you've said stuff about people too. Uh, Romans chapter 13, Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew's Gospel, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. So don't let any debt remain outstanding. Do what to it? And if you're quick to forgive, if you're the type of person 
who, who's just quick to forgive, you're actually progressing in your faith. You're growing towards maturity. Your puzzle is looking more complete. But he says the only debt that is outstanding, the only one that you're supposed to leave is the debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So unity is a measure of maturity. Number four, the Christian ought to be identifiably different than a non-Christian. How? Through their pattern of living. Verse 17, he says, join with others in following my example. Brothers, take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. You ought to be able to look different from the world. In these these false teachers that we have in our world today, sharing a message of false prosperity. Believe me, you don't need to be born again to want health. You hear me? You don't need to know Jesus Christ to want wealth. Health and wealth, everybody wants that. You don't need to be a Christian to want that. Do you remember what Paul said? It's been granted on you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. You, know, you, you need to have a, a supernatural transformation in your heart to be willing to suffer. But a message of health and wealth will never produce or, or be caused to produce a Christian. You and I need to have a pattern of living that looks different than the world. Number five, resurrection is the prize. That's, that's the chocolate sitting there. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're moving towards. That's what we're hoping in. And lastly, there is a standard by which we ought to live. This was chapter 4, verse 1. I just want to read it one more time. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm. This is how. Waiting for the return of Jesus. Being united with one another. And when it comes to confidence in the flesh, when it comes to the sins and mistakes and a perspective of this earth, what, what should you do? Or get what's behind. When you fall down, when you drop the baton, get up and keep what? Let's say that together. Keep running. Keep running. Get up and keep running. So what do you do with this? I just have three things for you. Number one, forget the past. Folks, you've you got to let, you let go of some things. There, there have been people who have wronged you. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to stop dwelling on it. You have screwed up. Man, you've got to put that behind you. Look, either the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient or it's not. And if it is, then why are you still holding on to this? If God has forgiven you of it, forget what's behind. And probably the best way that I could explain to forget the past is to stop reaching for earthly things. Fix your eyes not on the here and the now. Do you remember our reading that Phil gave us? Hebrews 11, right? Abraham left his home. He said all these people did not receive what was promised to them at that time, but they were looking for a city, a country that was not their own, a city whose founder and builder is God. That's what we're looking for, not on earth. God has given us so much here to enjoy, but none of it is eternal. All that we enjoy here on earth is temporary. So stop um, holding on to those things. Learn to forget the past. Number two, press on to what's ahead. And as, as I showed you in that chart, three ways that you can do that, right? Answer the question, what is your goal? Citizenship in heaven, that's my goal. Right? When, I'm a, when I'm a citizen of another country, I live like a member of that country. So live like you come from heaven. It's promised to you now. Continue to reach for those things for which God has already taken hold of you. That ought to be your goal. Who is your God? Jesus Christ is my God. And he is coming back again. Jesus said, blessed are those who are found watching and waiting on the day of the master's return. 
Don't be catch sleeping. This needs to be our attention. And where is your glory? Our ultimate hope, our glory is really in resurrection. And lastly, you need to find godly examples. And so my warning as a, as a shepherd, I got to warn you there are false teachers. You need to avoid false teaching. And the way that you do that is finding godly examples. I, I want to just point this out one last time. Chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Join with others in following my example. You've got to have godly examples in your life. Brothers, take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. If you surround yourself with negative people, it's going to produce negative thinking. And I'm not interested in negative and positive. I'm just saying that's true. I'm interested in Christian and not Christian. Because if you surround yourself with Christian people, which is what it's like when we do the greeting here, right? They're going to challenge you. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron. This is how we are to progress in our faith. So with that, will you bow and pray with me this morning?